was it. I was finished. I was done. It was as if I had reached my lifelong limit for lies. I could not tell one more lie. And maybe I'm a sucker. Because if I had told just one more lie, I could have walked away from all that mess, kept my wings, kept my false sense of pride. And more importantly, I could have avoided being locked up in here with all you nice folks for the last 13 months. But I'm here. And I'll be here for at least the next four or five years. And that's fair. I betrayed the public trust. I did. That's how the judge explained it to me. I had betrayed the public trust. The FAA, they took away my pilot's license. And that's fair. My chances of ever flying again are slim to none. And I accept that. I've had a lot of time to think about it, all of it. Been doing some writing. I wrote letters to each of the families that had lost loved ones. And some of them were able to hear my apology. Some of them never will. I also apologize to all the people that tried to help me along the way, but I couldn't or wouldn't listen. People like my wife, you know. My ex-wife. My son. And again, like I said, you know, some of them were Never forgive me, some of them will. But at least I'm sober. And I thank God for that. I'm grateful for that. And this is going to sound real stupid coming from a man who's locked up in prison. But for the first time in my life, I'm free over the history lesson because I just left it with uh, you, the, the small groups and for you to read, right? And it was just a rehash of Exodus. However, I wanted to focus on the word see. The word see in Hebrew is ra'a because see was repeated often, many times throughout these uh, four chapters. And like I said, if you've been around with me for quite a while now, anytime you do a Bible study and you meet a word or a phrase or a theme that's repeated, it's important, right? It's important to focus because that's how you're going to read the rest of the passages. It's in that context. So see, Moses is telling the Jews that during that time to open their eyes and see beyond themselves and focus on God's will as opposed to their own. Moses says, see, see God's will, see his vision for you as opposed to yourself. God through Moses tells the Israelites to see where they've been how he has provided for them and sustained them throughout their history, 
and tells them what happened when they rejected him during that time and also told them, see how you can realign your sights and set your sights back onto God. Because when, it, when you do, you will experience his grace, mercy, and unfailing love towards you. See, open your eyes, go beyond yourself. And so we concluded that last week that uh, the statement that we concluded was, without faith and trust in God, without our humility coming in a humble stance towards God, we will always be short-sighted and lose out on witnessing and living out the biggest life-fulfilling, blowing-your-mind adventure that God has in store for you and I. If we continue to see ourselves and focus upon ourselves and see only the short game that is only in front of us, and not yearn and desire to, and endure to see what God wants us to see, we will really miss his promise. We will miss out on his promise. This morning, I will approach chapter five to seven the same way as we did in chapters one to four, focusing on the most repeated theme. Now, after doing some homework uh, for you to prepare the sermon, these three chapters, chapters five to seven, mention one word the most, and that is, interestingly, Egypt, the word Egypt. Nine times in the NIV and NASB, 11 times in the NLT. So this morning, I will take us through the passages that mention Egypt. As you, some of you may be keeners out there, chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven, one of the popular passages within those chapters is what? The Ten Commandments, right? Guess what, we're not gonna go over them. I'm gonna leave it with you and your small groups or your own personal study to go over them because much ink has already poured onto the Ten Commandments. What I really wanna do for this morning is to focus on why does God, through Moses, remind Israel about Egypt? What's going on there? Because if we look at that, that's how we're going to read the Ten Commandments. That's how we're going to read chapter six. That's how we're going to read chapter seven. You follow? If we really hone in and go, okay, what is up with Egypt? And then read the rest of the passages in that context, we'll have a better picture of why he even gave those commands in the first place. Why bother with the Ten Commandments? And here's my conclusion that I want to elaborate on for this morning. Here's my sentence. We all have our own Egypt. We all do. The question is for this morning is have each of us really, truly came out of it? As in, have we entered into God's covenant and live a covenant life of God-given freedom? Let me repeat that again. This morning, I want to say have, and ask ourselves, have we really come out of our own Egypt, i.e., living and entering into God's covenant and living a covenant life of God-given freedom. So let's begin. Let's look at chapter five's Egypt statements, all right? Deuteronomy chapter five, verse six and 15. It says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Right in the beginning, God, through Moses, tells his people who he is, what he did for them, and reminded them of who they were using the most important story of their existence, the Exodus. God tells the Israelites, his chosen people, I am the Lord your God, who chose you specifically to save you out of slavery, out of Egypt. The Lord God, his mighty hand and outstretched arm, his strength and power, the mighty warrior, by his own immense capacity, chose to save Israel, 
of, out of all the nations. Remember, the, there were many other nations during that time. But he chose Israel, especially Israel, from Egypt's exploitation, bondage, and most of all, the very nation that determined whether they were to live or die, whether to be hungry or fed. That was Egypt. Egypt had every, all control over Israel. In Egypt, determined whether they were to live or die, to be hungry, fed or hungry, or, and, or to find work or whatever. Egypt, by all definitions, we could say in the modern world that this was true slavery, right? True slavery, enslaved by something that your life depends on, but unfortunately that something continues to torment you and exploit you. Slavery in the modern sense is you are dependent on something, to, you are so dependent on it, but it drains you. That is not life-giving for you, but you're being exploited by it. That is slavery. Some say this is addiction. Some say that this is drugs addiction. Some say it's mental illness. Whatever it is, that is slavery. Whatever it is that drains you out, but you depend on it dearly, that's slavery. That's your Egypt. So you're bound and heavily burdened by it, but you need it. You really need it. So why did God choose to save Israel out of their Egypt? In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 2, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Now, why? Because God made a promise and he keeps his promises throughout all generations, regardless of their faults, shortcomings, countless rejections, and whining. And ironically, Israel desired to go back to their old life. Now, remember, I don't know if you know the story. Some of you do. But throughout their whole journey right across the desert, some of the Israelites, actually most of them, were complaining to Moses and say, I want to go back. I want to go back to Egypt. It's better in the, back in Egypt. It's better to remain in slavery, to remain in that old life of ours. You see, God didn't force them to come into this covenant, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? They all chose to enter into this covenant. They all chose because they believed in the promise that God would give them. They believed in the promises. They believed in the end game, that the God will give them this eternal flourishing life in the presence of God in relationship with him. A covenant, a promise. And so they didn't get forced to. The Israelites, like their forefathers, didn't get forced into this covenant. They chose to enter into this covenant with God because they believe in the promise it gives. You follow? I used the word covenant just a few times just now in the past few seconds. What in today's society, in our 21st century, is equivalent to covenant now. What, what, what's the best example of covenant? Marriage, right? Agree? That, that's the closest thing that I could come with uh, when it comes to covenant. Two people, right? Two people make the choice to choose one another. They choose one another. They didn't have to choose them. Like they, didn't they weren't forced to marry. Well, not in this hemisphere anyway. In some cultures, they, they, they still do. But not right now. Like in our current situation, in our context, we don't force to get married. We choose the other, right? Now, why do we choose the other? To actually, and when we make that choice, what do we do? We actually say, look, when I choose you, I am actually choosing you by overlooking and ignoring your faults your weaknesses, 
I'm overlooking your sins. I'm overlooking your quirks, your body fat, your wrinkles, your arthritis, your saggy body parts, your melting faces. I'm ignoring your illnesses. I'm ignoring your obnoxiousness. I'm ignoring your rudeness. I choose you to spend my rest of my life with. Covenant. That's covenant. Irregardless of what's going on, like in the appearance, irregardless of what's a, like the faults of our, of our partner, of these two people, they still choose to remain in this covenant, to endure. And you go, uh, and this world will probably ask you, why? Why do you want to remain in this marriage when really clearly you don't look too happy? Why? Why do you want to remain in this marriage? There's a lot of work, don't you think? You know, all these intentional date nights, all these planning, all the, the, the kids are like, a, like, and then, you know, like, you know, people, like, he or she's not measuring up to your standards. Why are you remaining in this covenant? The world will ask you that. Why do you choose this covenant to spend the rest of your life with this person? Because of the promise it brings. Just like God's covenant, a covenant marriage, there's a promise it brings. A lifelong relationship to experience the giving and the receiving of the fullness of unconditional human love, the sacrificial love. You can't get that from a dog. All right. Let me say that again. People who enter into a marriage, well, a Christian, Christian couple who enter into a marriage, let's say, they believe in the promise this marriage brings, a lifelong relationship to experience the giving and the receiving of the fullness of unconditional human love. Unconditional human love, sacrificial love. So, this first mention of Egypt is actually, is all about God's covenant, God's promise to his people. God's covenant has three parts. It involves a choice for both parties to remain. We know that God and his people God made a choice to choose Israel to remain in the covenant or else he wouldn't save them. And he's now asking Israel to remain in this covenant as well, to in return remain in this covenant to experience the promise at the end. So how does this apply to us? Because we're, we're not Israel and we're not in Deuteronomy. So how do we see this part, this covenant in human, with a God? Do we have a covenant with God? Yes, we do. God originally made a covenant with humanity, us. When humanity rejected God, thinking that we would be better off on our own while convincing ourselves that God's promise was not worth remaining in the covenant, we thought we would be free, right? Yeah, let's just reject God and then turn around and just uh, like go off on our own way. But did we really experience freedom? Like, did we really experience freedom or were we just going back and getting enslaved by our own sin, by our own Egypt? that our destiny was controlled by our own sin, which led to death. Chaos and separation from the promise of full, flourishing, eternal life with God. Like, was that something that we were not attracted to? Our Egypt, such as addiction, greed, selfishness, lust, self-righteousness, pursuit of getting ahead of others, worry, anxiousness of missing out, self-centeredness, etc., all have the ability and subsequently control and enslave us, like in Egypt to burden us, to exploit us, to drain our life till we're dead. These type of things are our Egypt. When we reject God's covenant, that's what happens when we go on our own way. We experience all this chaos. 
So when God made a covenant with humanity, he remains in that covenant, and that's why he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, so that he opens the door again for us to come back into the covenant with him. He invites us back all the time to come back, to experience true freedom in relationship with him. The question is, like Israel, do we want to leave our Egypt? Do we enjoy this chaos? Do we enjoy our own freedom? Do we enjoy to just go off on our own? Do we enjoy that? Have we truly left Egypt? Let's move on to the next mention of Egypt. Chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, continue on with me to chapter 6, verse 12. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. See, it's quite easy to forget the vows we've made with our spouses, for the married couples here. It's quite easy to forget. And I don't blame anyone who is married. Life just happens, right? We get busy, especially when children come. We, we get busy, especially when there are ailing family members that we need to take care of. And we get busy when, there are, when we have occupations that are quite demanding. Our marriages suffer because of our amnesia. The promise of having a life that experiences unconditional sacrificial love from each other doesn't seem to exist anymore. Well, same goes with our covenant with God. See, it's very easy for us to forget our vows we each made when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We forget the vows to lay down our lives and pick up our crosses and be his disciple. We forget because we get busy. That is why there is today the Sabbath day a time carved out from our busy schedules to give ourselves fully to worshiping God. But how do we worship? What should be the main criteria of our worship if we indeed are free from our Egypt and living a covenant life? Well, it's found in this passage that we just read in this, next Egypt, in this Egypt passage. First, like the Israelites who are told to remind themselves of how life was like when they were slaves in Egypt, we, too, during worship, through song and reading God's word, remind ourselves who we once were, what life was like when we were slaves to our sin. Do you recall that moment? Do I recall that moment? Do all of us recall, each of us in our individual lives, when we received Jesus, do we recall the moment prior to it? Prior to that, like, what was it like when we were still enslaved in our sin? Right? God, through Moses, tells the Israelites, remind yourselves of that. Remind yourselves of that moment. Second, then remind yourselves and remind myself how God, through Jesus, saved us from this bondage of sin. How did he do it? You all probably wrote, like, for those of you who are baptized, you all probably wrote a testimony, didn't you not? Have you tried to take it out and reread it again? You know, because you were probably taught before, during, after, right? Well, how did God save you from your sin? 
save you from the bondage of your sin? The question is, did he? Right? So God, through Moses, says true worship is A, to remember where you came from, B, how God actually saved you, and lastly, in worship, what are we looking ahead? What is the promise that, why are we worshiping him in the first place? It's the promise of eternal flourishing life in God's presence. So here's the question, and this is where the passage asks too. The second mention of Egypt is telling us something here then, in this chapter. Since it's a lot about remembering, it's a lot about remembering how God saved us, the question is, did he? Have you left your Egypt? Do you recall that moment? The life that you had in your sin, the moment of salvation through Jesus Christ, and now. Because if you do not have that, if you can't remember, or you don't have anything to remember, then you have to ask yourself, why are you worshiping God in the first place? This is a choice. It has nothing to do with, we're not forcing you to worship. God's not forcing you. It's a choice, it's a response to what he has done for you. Let's move on, Deuteronomy 7. The next one. Deuteronomy 7, verse 8, starting with verse 8. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt but he will inflict them on all who hate you. But do not be afraid of them. Remember well that the Lord your God did to the Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Verse 19, you saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with the, which with the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. God loves us so much that he made a promise, a covenant and oath under his powerful name that if we remain in his covenant, we will be free from a life burdened with diseases that those who reject God experience. Now, what are those diseases are we referring to now these days that are relevant for today? Sure, we may not have locusts, right? Like for those of you who know the, temp the, the plagues of Egypt, sure, our water may not turn into blood, right? And we may not have frogs and, we, and you know, the moon may not cover the sun. No, the diseases of today are what? Especially for the 21st century Westerner. The diseases of today is the worries of sustainability. The worries of sustainability, the worries of personal safety, the worries of personal security, to be in control of our own destiny, those worries. The worries, the frustrations of maintaining a lifestyle that we think in our minds is good. The selfish desires to achieve more and more, the lust, greed, and continuous desire to wanting more than the other person. A life of discontentment yet also a life that lacks purpose. That's a disease. But most of all, the greatest disease I believe that those experience who reject God's covenant life is living a life of full of conditional love. And what do I mean by that? How do you like to live a life that's everything but if and thens? If you do this, then I'll give you this. If you do this, then I'll give you this. If I do this, you give me that. If I do that, you know. Like, 
How do you like to live a life like that? How do you like to live a life like that? It's almost like walking on eggshells sometimes then. That is complete slavery. That is slavery too. That is burdensome. There's no freedom in that. And I believe that in light of what we've been reading about covenant life, about the covenant of unconditional love, about sacrificial love for each other, about the sacrificial love that God is giving you and he's requesting from you to give back, this is freedom that he's offering, that there will be, there will be a life free of if-then clauses. None of this, if you do this, then I'll do this for you. That's freedom. There's no freedom, no possibility of flourishing if there, was, if there are if-then clauses. You're free from all these transactions, God says, if you live a covenant life with him. God reminds us again who he is and what he has done for us by his mighty hand. He also reminds us that there is no one and no thing greater than he is. Not your boss, your parents, your job, your spouse, your children, your clients, your career, your home equity, your bank account, your relationships. He is big. He is bigger than anyone. And that's why like, in this chapter, he says, I am the mighty warrior. I could conquer everything before your eyes. If you think that you're worried about your money and your finances, I'll conquer that. Don't worry, just trust in me and I'll provide. If you think that like, I, like, your career is gonna be bigger than me, think again. Your career is nothing compared to God. God will conquer it. I still love Phoebe's, Phoebe Chan's like, um, phrase. Remember what she said when she saw her, that uh, opposing lawyer uh, beside her and she saw that uh, the lawyer wearing that robe? And then um, she goes, wow, what a nice robe. And then the, the lawyer goes, yeah, because I'm a, like the lawyer goes, I'm a queen's counsel, right? And then she goes, well, I'm a child of God, so there. Right? So it's that whole idea that, hey, you know, if you belong to God, you have God of heaven's armies on your side. How can you possibly fear anything if he's on your side? See, there's a popular uh, misconception about one of the commandments in, in the Ten Commandments. Don't misuse God's name. I believe that it's not about this whole thing about, oh, you know, OMG, or, you know, this uh, uh, liberal use of it. Actually, uh, if you look into it, and for those of you who are doing this study, it's actually claiming that you are God's child, yet still behaving as if you're not. That's misusing God's name. Claiming that you are God's child, claiming that you have that covenant promise, thinking that you have that covenant promise, but just pretending that it, and you're not really behaving like one. That's misusing God's name. So if we could keep on allowing other things, other uh, situations and the things in uh, this world make us afraid or make us a, a, like fear and not trust in God, are we really misusing God's name? So how should we read the Ten Commandments in chapter 5 and the commandments that had passed down in chapter 6 and the commandments to not intermarry with non-believers or worship their idols in chapter 7? You know, there's a lot of commandments in chapters 5, 6, and 7. For those of you who are doing this study, there's a lot of commandments in 5, 6, and 7. Notice notably the Ten Commandments. And of course, in chapter 7, not to intermarry with foreigners and not to and destroy all their idols, etc. right? There are a lot of those. So in light of... What we just uh, went through about covenant, how should we read these? How should we read these? Well, I think we need to kick off with one phrase right in the beginning. And this is the one sentence that is key to reading this whole thing. And it's a covenant statement in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 5. What does it say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. 
Doesn't this sound like a marriage statement? It just off the top. How many of you have been to a wedding? Most of us, right? Yeah, of course, right? Being a pastor, you pretty much be, you know, invited to them too. When, when, I, when, I, when two people are married, they, go, they, they say their vows. They go, oh, I love you. I give my all to you. Some of you start crying and then just waste a whole five minutes crying, uh-huh. right? And it's uh, some of you like, uh, you know, I give my all, you know, and then, it, you know, and stuff like that. I give my, like, it's almost like I vow to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. Does it not? Doesn't it sound like that? Right? And you would say it, and we would say it, and we would hear it. But here's a question. After marriage, if we do not see the couple even make an effort to spend time together, are they really fulfilling their vows? Are they really practicing it? If we find, the, if we find couples not even wanting to you know, talk or even find time to, for a date night, are they really putting, the, putting, out their practice, putting their vows into practice? You see, when we made our vows to God, we pretty much said the same thing. I love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. God even says in return, I love you with all my heart and soul, or else I would not have said it in the first place. That's my covenant for you, with you. But if we do not set aside time for a date night with God, are we truly, really in relationship with him? If we do not set an intentional time to carve out our day, to actually set aside our technology and everything, and just have a real, true relationship with God, are we really fulfilling our vows with God? Take it for today, our Sabbath. Some of you, I just browsed around, some of you just instantly put your phones down, right? If we continue to look at our phones and then just you know, finish our last text or read our Facebook posts, right now, as we speak, are we truly giving our full, our all, our entire strength and mind and soul towards God? If our minds are still boggled down with something and we're still thinking about something today, like uh, something that's worrying us, are we really giving God our focus? See, this is how we should be reading the commandments in light of the covenant. The commandments is not there to a bunch of do's and don'ts. The commandments are a response to the covenant. Like the commandments are just the practical response of how we put our vows into practice. Think about it. Think about it this way. Do not murder, do not covet your neighbor's wife, or do not covet other people's belongings. Why? Because covenant people just don't do it. Think about it. We have this flourishing, eternal, flourishing life in the presence of God already, fully fulfilled. Why do we need to kill somebody? Why do we need to, like, why do we need to covet anybody's belongings? You follow? Chapter 6. If you read all the commandments that way, you will understand that this covenant language is so important when you read the commandments. Thou shalt not steal? Well, you won't steal if you live in a covenant life. If you are living in a covenant life that is eternal and flourishing in God's presence, why would you steal? Why would you even think of stealing? Right? That thing. And honor your parents. Well, if you live in a covenant flourishing life, you would honor your parents because dishonoring them is not in you. It's not even going to be existent in you. See what I mean? If you are truly in a covenant life, this stuff is just outpouring. It has no, it's not, you're going to not see it as a do's and a don'ts. Chapter 6, the commandment to pass down what you have. 
Well, who is not excited enough to pass down the eternal flourishing life with God? Agree? Right? Like, it's not a do or a don't. It's not to command you to pass down the, 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 the decrees to your children. It's more like you can't even help yourself but to pass it down. Because you live in this eternal flourishing life that you have with God, so you're so excited. I remember there are a few friends of mine who are just so darn excited to just share the gospel with anyone they could get their hands on. Right? They would just tell them the joy that they have because they're so excited that they have this covenant life with God. So it's not a command. It's just basically a response of the love that he has for you already. Chapter 7. Don't let anyone the, the damage your marriage relationship. Don't have the, like, don't lust after other people. and Don't, uh, don't intermarry with foreigners. Don't, like, you know, all that do's and don'ts in Chapter 7. Kill, uh, like, don't even have, subject yourself to temptations. You know, all of Chapter 7. Well, guess what? If we experience God's love and his sacrificial love for us so tangibly, and we have this flourishing life that we have in him, and we have this ultimate promise at the end, as long as we endure, why would we covet other people's belongings? Why would we allow other people damage our relationship with God? Why would we mingle with our old Egypt? Why would we leave a little bit of inkling of Egypt in us? A greed, selfishness, lust, like uh, self-righteousness or whatever. Why would we even leave that inkling of Egypt behind in our old selves? Achievements. Why would we? We don't need it because we have this covenant life with God. The eternal flourishing life with him in his presence. But then... There's a but. This whole chapter five, and, uh, five to seven, there's a big but. There's a big assumption, isn't it? There's a big assumption that you and I have left Egypt. There's a big assumption that you and I had this moment, a life-changing moment, that God indeed saved you. God indeed saved you out of this bondage. Because if not, if we see these commandments as just a bunch of commandments to burden us, outdated, not progressive enough, like thinking that this is constraining us so that we cannot get ahead of our, like, and achieve for what we want to achieve and what we want to be happy with, then you have to ask yourself, all of us have to ask ourselves, have we really truly left Egypt then? Or are we just leaving, just staying in Egypt and claiming that we're God's child, but still stay in Egypt and just loving it in there? Staying in our greed, our selfishness, and just remain there. We have to ask ourselves, have we left? Have we truly left Egypt? Let's pray.